We are back. A couple of weeks ago, we talked a bit about this feud between Al Franken and, and Bill O'Reilly that's current, currently playing out in the media. We're going to do our best to attend Al Franken's talk down in UC Berkeley in a couple of weeks. And if we have any luck at all, we'll be able to get a few words out of Al Franken uh, for this program. But uh, yesterday on National Public Radio, specifically Fresh Air, Terry Gross took on Bill O'Reilly and addressed some of the charges that Al Franken makes against him. And uh, really, I can't stress highly enough that if you have any interest in this whatsoever, please do yourself a favor. Go to the web, go to npr.org and listen in its entirety to the interview Bill O'Reilly gave Terry Gross. Terry Gross spoke here in Sacramento a couple of weeks ago. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a very interesting um, uh, hour, hour and a half she gave us. She, if anything, is a meticulous researcher. And so she had the facts at her fingertips when she went at O'Reilly. Uh, let's just say Mr. O'Reilly did not fare very well in the exchange. In fact, here was my impression of Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> But anyway, don't accept my spin on how you how I thought it went. Do yourself a favor, go to npr.org and listen to the interview Bill O'Reilly on Fresh Air. And a bit of follow-up from last week's program where we had Jeff Kravitz come on and talk about the new national do not call list. Um, um, our public affairs legal legal felt that this was a, a difficult issue to settle out how you could separate commercial speech from private speech. And um, I got an opinion off of Slate from MSN.com that has a very contrary view to this by uh, Dahlia Lithwick, who apparently is not an attorney. But she notes that uh, the fact that the current do-not-call list distinguishes between charitable and political calls on the one hand and business calls on the other is constitutionally only semi-interesting. Apparently, the Denver judge in this case had a problem with distinctions between political and commercial speech, but she notes that the courts have been drawing that line for years. It's an interesting constitutional issue, and I'm certainly no lawyer, but um, I do, I think, take a little bit of issue uh, with Jeff on this. The uh, 2000 Supreme Court decision called Hill versus Colorado is cited in the same article that noted that in Colorado there was a restriction on abortion protesters approaching women seeking access to abortion clinics. The Supreme Court struggled to balance the right not to listen against the right to persuade on abortion, which is certainly one of the more uh, important political issues of our age, and they decided, surprisingly, in favor of the bubble of privacy. We will continue to follow that story as it develops, and we hope that uh, Jeff will help us through that, along with uh, some of our regular legal contributors, uh, Stuart Gardner and Steve Alexander. Now, I saw a very interesting uh, scientific essay that I thought I would comment on a, a bit on this program. It was from a Robert Lawrence Kuhn, who is the creator and host of the PBS television series, Closer to the Truth, Science. Dr. Kuhn evidently holds a Ph.D. in anatomy-slash-brain research from UCLA. He notes in this article that the usual rationale for spending public monies on scientific projects is that they have the potential to make our lives longer, healthier, safer, happier, and more productive. Pure science, he notes, can strengthen democracy and promote public participation in the political process. Kuhn puts forth the hypothesis that, in general, countries that have stronger sciences have stronger democracies. And in countries where science has little strength and scientific ways of thinking have no apparent impact, governments tend to range from undemocratic 
to totalitarian. Um, it's a very provocative, uh, provocative uh, essay. Kuhn notes the importance of critical thinking, the ability to draw logical conclusions, or the reverse, to discern gaps in logic, to detect broken conceptual links in the causative chain of, say, campaign promises. Science amplifies our power of discernment, he says. The scientific way of thinking enables us to assess whether facts fit theories or, in the political arena, whether actual circumstances support proffered positions. Critical thinking is the essence of the scientific method, and knowing the difference between assumption and deduction, between presumption and proof, can alter one's outlook and transform an electorate. He notes that democracy works successfully only when participants are informed and able to make independent judgments. The degree to which they can be swayed by demagogues, influenced by parochial interests, incited by jingoism, or inflamed by ethnic or religious chauvinism is the degree to which democracy does not work. Well, in this program, we talk science, and we talk current events, and we talk politics, and uh, I would certainly agree with Dr. Robert Lawrence Kuhn that um, there's a connection. Joining us now from New York City is Hannah Shakespeare, a documentary filmmaker whose current project with Zero to Sixty Productions is something that I'm keen to have her tell you about. Thanks so much for coming on the program, Hannah Shakespeare. My pleasure. Now, how did a person from New York, a documentary filmmaker and screenwriter, get involved with a, a, a case of civil disobedience going on in Colorado? Well, the question to get me to Colorado was I wanted to ski. The second part of the equation is um, I happened to be in Colorado a few months before the invasion of Iraq and had been at an anti-war demonstration in Colorado Springs where I witnessed the police firing off several rounds of tear gas against demonstrators on February 15th when the rest of the world was also protesting. And it struck, my, it struck a chord with me because I thought that the state was surprisingly conservative. Having come from New York, I, I've gone through 9-11. I've certainly seen many rallies, political rallies, and I've never seen police shoot tear gas at a crowd. Maybe I'm lucky, maybe I'm unlucky. Was this a particularly unruly crowd, or does this, this strike you as sort of a real overreaction on the, on the officer's part? I absolutely thought it was a gross overreaction. It was a group of um, about 15 teenagers who stepped onto the street, and the police donned anti-riot gear and then pummeled people, including women and kids, who were trying to get into their cars uh, with tear gas. And I happened to be one of them, and I was irritated, to say the least. So with that said, I started following some of the cases in Colorado and some of the things that was, uh, were going on you know, in the dissident community and in the legal system as a reaction to people who were against the war. And during the course of doing that, I read this story about the three sisters, and it, I thought it was worth pursuing. In brief, what is this story of these three Roman Catholic nuns? Well, Sister Carol, Sister Jackie, and Sister Artis are members of the Dominican Order. They follow the plowshares movement that was originated by Daniel and Phil Berrigan. Basically, they will spend a certain amount of time praying and discerning where they would like to do an action. And they prayed and decided that Colorado was a state with a 49 ICBM nuclear silo sites. And they felt compelled to go to the NA site where they cut one link in a chain link fence as a cattle fence that surrounds the actual uh, concrete lid of the silo. Okay. So they cut the cattle gate, 
they processed up onto the actual physical site. And I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they are a big block of concrete. It's 110 tons of concrete. Okay. And they're flat, so you can easily drive by them and not know that they're there. So they went onto the missile silo site, and they painted uh, six crosses in their own blood. And then they, they went to the larger, uh, there's a, just a larger fence that surrounds a specific missile, and they cut down three portions of that fence and sort of gently laid it down on the ground. They cut the C-rings, actually, so that the fence, the fence wasn't cut in half. It was cut along the boundary right. uh, on the fence line. And then they sat down on the silo site and they prayed. So that was the extent of, of the, what they did. Yeah, they believe that they you shall hammer swords into plowshares. Right. And so this is this is a sort of structured form of protest. Jonah House members frequently do these sorts of activities. In fact, the sisters do have a history of completing actions against military installments. In, in 2000, uh, they were down in Colorado Springs at Peterson Air Force Base, and they banged hammers on the bomb encasing of a B-52 at an air show. Well, we have a long history of, of protest in America, and that's supposed to be part of, uh, of our rights as citizenry. But this, uh, in the wake of 9-11, I think that there's been something of a, a change in mood in the country, and, and, that, and I guess that may reflect perhaps what happened to these, um, these Roman Catholic nuns. Right. I mean, I should, say, I should say that Sister Jackie, Carol, and Arnett are very well-versed in law, and they're also well-versed in the consequences of civil disobedience. They right. call it civil resistance, and they fully expected and respected the reaction of the law they they were vandals and they were they trespassed on a federal property and it's an ICBM missile silo site and they know that that's serious they knew they would be arrested absolutely 100% and um what they did not anticipate was a conviction of sabotage against national defense and it is the first conviction of sabotage against national defense in the Denver district since 9/11 well, i think a lot of people would have to ask is cutting down a fence and painting crosses on a piece of concrete sabotage of an intercontinental ballistic missile? That was certainly what drew me to the story. I mean, they are of the mind that nuclear missiles don't protect our national defense and safety, that they are a hindrance to it. It's contrary to say that they went on to a defense base in order to destroy national defense. It was obviously a symbolic action. It struck me as, you know, just following the story, that they would have taken something more than a baby bottle full of their own blood if they really had the sincere intention of dismantling that specific ICBM. Yes. So they were tried under uh, the, the charge of sabotage and actually convicted, I guess, and sentenced in July. That's correct. They were convicted in April of this year, and then they, were, they bonded out for two months where they got their affairs in order, and they're indigent, so they needed to... Um, they, they went back to Baltimore to Jonah House and said goodbye to friends and that sort of thing. And then they were sentenced on July 25th of this year, and they're serving 31, 33, and 41 months in federal penitentiary with a three-year probation term after that. And they've been separated. Jackie is in California, Ardeth is in Connecticut, and Carol is in Virginia. Well, that's a fairly stiff sentence for cutting down a chain-link fence, I think, all things considered. Yes, I think more striking was the attitude of the prosecution and U.S. Attorney for Colorado, John Southers, who very specifically believed that because the sisters don't believe in nuclear weapons, that they therefore are a threat to national defense because nuclear weapons, by their logic, are the reason that America is so well protected. You heard them say that? 
Yes, I have. Yes, I talked to them at length about it. And, and my point that, that struck me, and I said this to both of them, was I think Sister Jackie, Carol, and Ardeth are very, very intent on protecting national defense. They just don't believe that nuclear weapons are the way to doing that. Yeah. And I'm not going to take a stand one way or the other or get into a discussion about nuclear deterrence. I'm just not educated enough in the issue. But what I can say is that they do strongly believe in, in um, the safety and protection of future generations in America. They've devoted their lives to it. So though it, it, it is an illegal form of protest, and, and by their own admission they know that it is, to make the argument that they are deliberate saboteurs against America, it, it, it's, it's just sad. I mean, it's a very heavy-handed decision for a group of women in their 60s who are devoted to peace. I guess in your email you sent me, you know that one of the sisters was forced to give a DNA sample because she's being listed as one of America's most violent offenders. That's my understanding, yes. I haven't spoken with Carol directly to confirm it, but that's what has been stated in their newsletters. The other point that I want to make is that John Southers, the U.S. attorney for Colorado, said that the cost of incarcerating each of these women is about $40,000 a year. That's a lot of money. It seems like a distortion of the way, particularly we're, we're America's faced with a fair amount of, you know, economic burden right now to be sending three peace activists to jail for $40,000 a year oh. per person, $120,000 total, right. I think is a bad, bad way of spending money. I, I, would, I would agree. $120,000 for this particular crime does seem uh, a poor use of police and defense resources. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So if people are interested in reading more about the documentary or giving a contribution, which would be greatly appreciated because we are moving into the editing stage at this point, they should go to www.littlevoice, which is one word, .org, backslash N, as in Nancy, 8 Missile. It's a nonprofit endeavor. Well, Hannah Shakespeare, we appreciate hearing about this interesting story, what's going on uh, regarding these, these, this protest in Colorado, and I hope you'll come on in the future to tell us how it's progressing. I would love to. The court case, the legal ramifications, the political ramifications, and the social impl implications are uh, pretty multifaceted and interesting, so I'd appreciate any time you can bring me back on. <laughs> well, we'll do that. I don't think anybody's even heard much about this case, so we want to get the word out, and we'll, we'll try to come back and, and explore it a little bit further in, on a future show. Great. Thank you so much, Hannah Shakespeare. My pleasure. We hope that Hannah Shakespeare will indeed update us a few months from now on what uh, the latest developments are in this case. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS, Davis, Sacramento, Elk Grove. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a break. <laughs>